welcome to Have a Nice Apocalypse. It's a Southland Tales podcast in which we also talk about the works of Richard Kelly, but mostly Southland Tales. Uh, I am your co-host, Marcelo Pico, and with me, as always, I cannot do it without him, is my other co-host. Who are you? Marcus Irving, here to talk today. <laughs> we are here to talk to you, um, folks listening. First off, thank you for listening. Uh, if this is your first episode, what are you doing? Uh, we've done plenty of great episodes uh, so far. This is episode 10. This is a special episode, Marcus. Um, yeah, very special episodes for numer- numerous reasons. Numerous and also reasons. one that I think we probably will have a lot of people tuning in for the first time yeah. <laughs> just to hear this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what we should do in this intro before we get to our guest, our guest of honor... Uh, we our esteemed sh- guest. Our esteemed guest. Uh, and we shouldn't say who it is until we actually bring him on. Let's just tease it. Um, why don't we kind of just set the table? Okay. Who are we? What are we doing? Why don't I start off? Because I always like doing this for anybody. Because, like, hey, any episode can be anybody's first episode, Marcus. You know? Especially one yeah, with... Like, like Stan Lee's old thing that if you're... Every issue is somebody's first of uh, his whatever Wait, he did, did Iron Man. Did, did Stanley say that? Yeah, that was like a Stanley uh, ism, like that. Like every issue is somebody's first issue, so you gotta. Can you re- keep that in mind while you're writing your comic book? Can you guess uh, who I took that uh, idiom from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who? Yeah, I know exactly who you got that from. It's the exact same person I got that from. Uh, we're. Uh, comedy bang bang yes of course Scott Ackerman that. yes That's the thing. It's Scott Ackerman, so. <laughs> maybe it's not even real maybe it's just a thing that he made up and purports no I I, I think maybe because I know he's a comic book fan um, I think he maybe got it from Stanley so that makes sense so he, he kind of just you know said hey uh, if it works for comic books it works for podcasts so and Scott Ackerman is my number one podcast hero so of course I took it from him um so this is not the Scott Ackerman show, which it could be. I could very much spin off my yeah. own Scott Ackerman show. Um, this is the this is the my podcast hero, Marcelo Pico. Yes, um, this is his show. Yes, I am Marcus's podcast hero, and I'm here um, to you know deliver the best content I can for Marcus Irving first and foremost, <laughs> and then the listeners. Yeah, um, let's set the table. The only guaranteed listen we have is <laughs> the one <laughs> is Marcus Irving. <laughs> And possibly uh, Jesse from Twitter. Um, sure. So those two. So I am Marcelo Pico. Uh, I had previously done a podcast with Marcus about wrestling. Um, mm-hmm. And that concept of that show was Marcus was a huge wrestling fan. And I was a, a novice. Actually, I had watched wrestling 20 years ago. But I came back, watched wrestling for a year for that show. Marking the Marks uh, with Marcus and Marcelo. Um, and Marcus guided me through the wrestling uh, of that time of, uh, of uh, 2019 through like 2020. Yeah. Um, then that ended. Then I was like, hey, we should do something else. What could we possibly do? And that's where I tossed the baton to you, Marcus. What? Who are Find you? Another passion. Yeah. Who are you? And how did we end up? How, how did we end up doing a South Antilles podcast? Yeah. Hi, I'm, I'm Marcus. I'm a former wrestling uh fan who is still a wrestling fan but doesn't watch it anymore so we're not talking about wrestling anymore but uh what we are talking about is something that i am a great big fan of it's uh 
the film Southland Tales, uh, I, I call it my favorite film of all time. Uh, and, uh, we also decided to talk about the works of Richard Kelly. If you want to go back from here, we have, uh, us talking about, uh, his first film, Donnie Darko, and we have a commentary for that. And we also have a film, uh, commentary for the, uh, the film that he wrote for Tony Scott, uh, Domino starring Keira Knightley. Uh, we, we talked about Richard Kelly's career and our, our main focus is, uh, is uh, the film Southland Tales, of course. Uh, we're breaking it down in depth. We're going chapter by chapter through the Arrow Blu-ray release of the film, uh, how that film has it split up into 12 or 13 different chapters. Um, we are talking about... So this, this is uh, chapter four today. We are going to yeah. be talking through the minutes uh, 35, 47 to 46, 26 to gay with t- today. With our esteemed guest, of course, who we shall not name yet. No, no, no. Like Voldemort, we no. shall not name them. Um, <laughs> but yes, that, we're on chapter four already. So if you want to, yeah, uh, if you like this so far, or if you listen, or if you listen to this whole thing, and you're like, hey, these guys know how to talk about Southland Tales. You know, there's yeah. there's plenty of more uh, of us talking about Richard Kelly and Southland Tales on this on this series. So check out those episodes if you haven't. That's it. Um, that's, that's the table has been set. Now we, yeah. now we can proceed with our first segment. Our fir- yeah, before we get into our lovely guest. Yeah. Before we, can... we get into our guest, uh, we gotta, we gotta do this. Like we gotta do this thing yeah. that Marcus, yeah. that Marcus thought up of two episodes ago. Uh, right, Marcus. Uh, what now it's become our most beloved segment. <laughs> what uh, is it's uh, Southland ales. That's it. Southland ales. Yes. 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 It is our, is our segment where we, uh, somebody, uh, Mar- Marcella, I am somebody that does not drink very often. Marcella, you are somebody that drinks occasionally. <laughs> yes, occasionally. And uh, we b- both decided that we know enough about alcohol to come up with uh, fun little cocktails all on our own to uh, represent various characters and concepts from the film Southland Tales. Yes. So, with, yeah. with, with all that being said, oh, let, let's also uh, backtrack a bit and say, hey, this is the third time we're doing this segment. The first two times, uh, uh, who did we cover? Uh, I mean, who, uh, what was the um, the theme of the last two drinks in this segment, Marcus? Yeah, uh, yeah. Our, our episode two uh, theme was uh, Krista Now. We made a drink uh, in honor of her. And in honor of Fortunio Balducci, we made a drink for him in episode three. And now, for this episode, what's the theme this time, Marcus? Mm, Marcelo, this theme is whatever you got. <laughs> <I think>. uh, <laughs> because uh, this, we forgot to plan ahead. The theme is potpourri. <laughs> just using what we have. And uh, Marcelo, what I have is a the only piece of alcohol I have in my uh, immediate vicinity that I'm aware of is this uh, White Claw Hard Seltzer, and we're going to bust it open right here for the fine folks at home. Ooh, that was good. That was a good one. All right, so you have that. That's your alcohol, and I have yeah. this Lone Star Seltzer Agave Lime. Um, it's 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 uh, the, the beer Lone Star. They're like, hey, everybody else is making a hard seltzer. Why not? us so yeah i'm gonna open up everybody's gotta have one i'm gonna open up a can of this hard seltzer made by lone star and here it is oh there it goes and 
Now, since we just are kind of just making up as we go along, and I just realized, hey, um, th- this is not the only piece of alcohol I have. Uh, I bought the six pack just out of the blue today because I was like, you know, I, I don't know, it's my weekend. Might as well have some alcohol. I rarely drink. I mostly drink Topo Chico's. Um, if you don't mm-hmm. know what those are, it's just it's it's just seltzer, right? It, it's 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 fantastic. That's all I drink. Non-alcoholic. But I'm like, you know why? You, you know what? Hard seltzer? Why not? Um, I also have, along with this, I've had this in my fridge forever, and I just I just remembered it. I have some um, uh, a prosecco, which I won't open on mic, but it could play a key role in the next episode. I'm not going to say how, interesting, but you, interesting. you never know. Maybe that might be involved, but that's a tease for next time. Maybe. Uh, so, since we're just making this up as we go along, what's the theme uh, for, for for these uh, for, for this segment, Marcus? Because we both have hard seltzers. My my yeah. can my can if I can describe it, uh, it's uh, well. Well, let me ask you, Marcus. Do, uh, do you know Lone Star Beer? Have you have you heard of them? Uh, I think the only reason I've heard of it is uh, through. Uh the last drive-in on Shutter that is uh, the host Joe Bob Briggs, his yes. drink of choice on there. Um, I just looked it up. Uh, I don't believe Lone Star is a thing I can acquire easily in my state. It looks about the only place it's available in the state of Iowa is uh, Cherokee. So uh, anybody lives near Cherokee, Iowa, and wants some Lone Star beer, that's about two hours <laughs> away from me. But maybe you're closer <laughs> and could get down there. Yes, it's. Um, it's a locally brewed beer here in Texas, Lone Star, and I will say it is not worth the two-hour drive to acquire a Lone Star beer. Um, well, I'll be the judge of that. No, it, it is very but, much. If you've ever had a um, Paps Blue Ribbon, it's very much along those lines. Kind of a very light beer that is uh, not memorable, but the only reason why a lot of people and why I tend to drink it when I do is because it's it's a Lone Star. It's you got it's that a Texas hometown beer. pride, exactly. Right? Uh, I, yeah. I, I'm a Texan at heart. I was born in New Jersey, but I bl- I've been living in Texas for 30 years, so I can say I am a, I am a Texan. Um, but hey, you know, this Lone Star Seltzer, not bad, this Agave Lime. Uh, yes, yeah, like, if I can describe the can, it's just the size of, it's a 12-ounce can, but it's in the shape of, you know, a White Claw. So you know it's a heart mm. seltzer. And it's uh, white and gold and blue. So I say all this to say... You know, we have to come up with a theme for this uh, segment. Yeah, we, we don't have a theme. We didn't have um, any planning for this, so I guess the theme is just whatever you make it. What does, what does this Lone Star Hard Seltzer Agave Lime Edition uh, mean to you? You know, so, uh, what, 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 how can you connect it to the film? You know what this else? reminds me of, Marcus? It mm. reminds me of the beach, of the beach. That's what I'm gonna say mm-hmm. uh, because that makes more sense. Um, yeah. Because hey, look, I mean, like I said, it's it's white, it's blue, it's gold, kind of gold like the the sands of um of the beach in South Antilles, which I forget the name of. Uh, yeah. Venice Beach, right? Is that is that where they are? Venice Beach. Venice or Beach. Maybe uh, Santa Monica Bay. Santa Monica Bay. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it later. Whatever beach they're on. Um. Yeah. You know what? And and it's hey, it's it's August eighth. You know, it's 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 summer. I know I don't know how it is where you are, Marcus, but it's pretty hot down here in Texas. So, you know what? Th- this to me is a nice summery beach drink. So I'm gonna go with the theme for me 
and maybe maybe you'll tag along with this marcus i don't know because i don't know what you're gonna say i'm gonna say hey i'm gonna go with the beach um because it, it, this perfect. is perfect hey marcus do you think south Antilles is a summer movie hey you know what yeah I, i've never thought about it like that but yes right like i guess i don't know the exact time period it takes place in but it's it seems summery there doesn't it it seems warm and bright but i guess it's in los angeles which is like a a city without seasons isn't that right oh yes oh and i've never lived there i just realized um it doesn't take place like right before an election so it has to be like in the fall oh, right? yeah 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 yeah, yeah, you're right. But it's still super sunny, though. I mean, come on. It, it, sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it, yeah. It's Los Angeles, baby. It's always Come summer, on. It's always you know? like seven, 79 degrees over there mm-hmm. constantly. So there are, everybody, it'll be like a, a Halloween and they're like in sandals and shorts. L.A. Okay, so yeah. what about you, Marcus? The, the theme. L.A., baby. The theme in which you're going for with your White Claw. Yeah. So I I look at my White Claw here, hard seltzer, black cherry flavor. I don't believe I said that earlier. Um, Black like the night. So what I see here is a very uh, stark white can, uh, maybe a little distressed look to it. But we also, uh, the most obvious focal point of the can is the, the, uh, other than its little red accents, of course, is its logo. It's, uh, we got... uh, like three big tidal waves and uh, the uh, birds flapping about. And I, I, I guess I'll just say, uh, not to piggyback off your point, I guess, but I'll say mine is uh, the ocean. What? Marcelo, mine, mine symbolizes the ocean. No way. <laughs> which, 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 much like... Uh, it plays a big character. It, it plays a big role in the film. Uh, Boxer's always waking up on the beach. Uh, you could you could uh, equate it to uh, you could equate it to uh, New York in a Woody Allen film. It's it's its own character. Ah, yes. Uh, the beat the 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 ocean in Southland Tales. So happy you can bring up Woody Allen on this podcast. Yeah, so happy. Any chance I get. Any chance you get. You can't stop talking about the man. We we have talked about his film Blue Jasmine. Uh, Dude, we did. Jesus Christ, we did <laughs> a couple episodes. Oh ago. dear Lord. Um, but anyway, uh, yes. So you pick the ocean. I pick the beach. Uh, I say. I, I say we we've done good. We've done good job here. We've done good job. Yeah, great. we've done good job. We've done good yeah, job. Of course. Yeah. So so hey, drink along, folks. Uh, why don't you pause this? Go to your local liquor store. Go to your gas stations, your grocery stores that sell beer yeah. and liquor. You know, grab something. Or if you don't drink, get get you know just a get a Topo Chico. That's just my a recommendation. Seltzer. A seltzer, yeah, yeah, yeah Topo hey. Chico, Perrier, yeah. whatever. Yeah. What, what do you like? Yeah, something you know, and then get uh, get a lime flavored drink or a black cherry drink. Drink along, uh, because that's that's a theme of this episode. It's it's <laughs> hard seltzer themed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what we're going for. Oh my god! So yes, um, uh, that I think that's it, right, Marcus? <laughs> I think so. I think we're ready to throw to our guest segment with uh, the still mysterious unnamed guest. But uh, you are going to enjoy our talk with them very much, I presume. Yes. So. The, yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, have fun. 
and, and with that, yes, have fun. Enjoy uh, us talking to our guests because, hey, I, I, at this point, we haven't talked to them yet, but I'm assuming we're going to have the best time. We're going to talk about so many things. Like, uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to share viewpoints that we haven't even thought of. Assumedly, no. uh, 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 we're, we're going to deep dive into, you know, uh, the character motivations and, like, aesthetics, background. We're going to research yeah. uh, the backgrounds of uh, actors that are in this movie and yeah. see what they're up to today. Yeah. We're, we're going we're gonna to get into a lot of stuff. So much so, is going to uh, happen, presumably, uh, in the future. Uh, after, yeah, that we don't know. That we don't yet. know because we haven't done it yet, obviously. Um, so, so stay tuned <laughs> after this break, uh, and we'll be back to introduce our guest and talk about Chapter Four of Southland Tales. So we'll be back. And we're back. Hey. What a, hey. what a fantastic break there! Uh, hope you all enjoyed some Moby, right? Some more of his uh, his song. Mm-hmm. What's the song called again, Marcus? Memory Gospel, and That's, we'll be getting to the origin of that name. Yeah, which or is something in this episode. Yeah, no, it's it, it's it's exactly that, Marcus. It's the origin of that name, uh, which which is something yeah. I forgot was in this uh, chapter. So that'll be that'll be mm-hmm. fun to talk about. Um. But speaking of fun, uh, we have a guest, don't we, Marcus? Yeah, yeah, we do. Who is? Yeah, it? we do. <laughs> All right, everybody. Here we go. <laughs> Throwing it to you, Marcus. Let me introduce you. Let me introduce you to the world's foremost scholar on Daniel Day Lewis's outfits. She <laughs> is the number one pop culture portrait artist on Twitter. Her, you can see her work in BWDR and other places. Here she is. It's Brianna Ashby. Hi. Hey. Hello. Hi. How Thanks are you? Thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, fantastic. Oh, Great to hear it. Uh, thank you for coming on. Um, and I don't know. It's okay. Let me just say up front. I'm a huge fan of your work. I am. I, I, yeah. I, I read Twitter, as, uh, uh, you know, the, your work on it as much as I can because, like, I, I'm, I'm in love with pretty much all of it. Um, uh, I, I don't know what else to say. I'm just a fan. And okay, yeah. Let's well, talk about. Thank you. Let's talk about the origin or like how we we kind of uh, we kind of got you on the show, Brianna, because I think that goes to Marcus. Marcus is in charge of. Uh, wrangling the guests for this, and he does amazing work uh, so far. Two for two, Marcus. Um, with <laughs> with with more to come. Um, but am I correct that uh, Brianna, you did a uh, a uh, some work around uh, one of these characters in Southland Tales, right? I did a long time ago. I actually, when you guys got in touch with me, I had to look up the essay that you were talking about because I had forgotten that I had done the painting. Yeah. So you did a painting of, uh, so basically how I get to finding any guests for this show, um, save for one is I just, I went through my Twitter, uh, people I follow and just searched the words Southland tales and looked at who I found, uh, people that had tweeted about it. And, uh, me and Marcel are both big fans of your work, and I saw that you had tweeted about it, and that made me excited because I thought, okay, maybe we can get her on the show. 
and I can talk to one of my favorite artists and, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, you had, you had done this painting of, uh, of, boxer. of uh, Dwayne Johnson boxer from, mm-hmm. uh, from the film for Southland Tales, uh, for, uh, it was an article for uh, bright wall, dark room. It was indeed a good website. But yeah, I, I I I haven't read the essay yet, but of course I'm in love with that uh, uh, piece, uh, Brianna, um, because it, it, it. Why don't we jump here uh, into um, your connection with uh, Southend Tales, Brianna? Um, because uh, if I'm correct, you haven't you hadn't seen the movie before we asked you on the show, right? I had not. Oh yes, um, so. How difficult was it for you to and, and back when you did the the the, the art around uh, boxer around uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Yeah, it's like 2014. I yeah, think. so it was a while ago. Yeah, you 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 hadn't seen the movie. So talk about like you doing that piece and not having seen the movie. Uh, like what 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 did you draw inspiration? Did you just see like clips of the movie? Did you see the trailer? Did you see? pictures of the rock in in that character talk about that process my process for illustrating particularly for bright wall um it's kind of the same across the board because there are quite a few movies that i've done work for that i hadn't seen and really it starts with i get a sneak preview of the essay that's being published um and i read that ahead of time and it's really more about the tone that the essay is trying to capture. Um, You know, sometimes there will be focus on a particular scene or a particular character uh, that's standing out to the author that I can kind of zero in on. Otherwise, it's more about just trying to capture a little bit of the heart of what they're writing about. That's interesting because I, 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 your photo, your, uh, your picture does come, it doesn't come off like somebody who hasn't seen the movie because you do really capture this, like, uh, kind of like childlike sensibility that, uh, that Boxer, uh, reverts to, uh, at multiple times in the film where he's like tapping his fingers together and, uh, uh, kind of, of, uh, having like a schizophrenic kind of, yeah break in his system it, it, it really does like you captured a very specific moment from the from the film very uh beautifully i think yeah uh, uh i totally agree it, uh your work brianna tends to capture that like uh the the um the essence of the character and for sure in that little and uh, that piece uh, of of uh, boxer um okay so that was a few years ago uh, cut to now, Brianna. Um, now you're on. <laughs> <laughs> cut to now. Flash forward to now. Um, the Southland Tales movie um, that you watched for the first time. Uh, I mean, Marcus, it, it, I guess we want to get into it, right? Um, uh, uh, Brianna's first thoughts, uh, first, uh, uh, yeah. your, your, your opinion, Absolutely. Brianna, of I, the film I, yeah. overall before we dive into... Uh, this specific chapter we're talking about this episode. Um, yeah, talk about seeing it for the first time, Brianna. This movie. It was one of those things where I, I sort of does it a disservice to say, "Oh, I liked it" or "I didn't like it." I really had to sit with it, uh, yeah, for a little bit and kind of digest it because it's wild and intentionally so. 
And it, <laughs> um, it comes off, I think, initially, if you take it on a superficial level as a really kind of deeply cynical movie, or it can. Um, but the more I kind of sat with it, you know, it, it just layers upon layers of what he was trying to achieve kind of revealed themselves. And that sounds like I'm some kind of profound genius or something. All these <laughs> revelations were occurring to me um, in the shower about this movie. Uh, but no, I found it very interesting. And I think I would have maybe had a different reading of it if I had seen it when it was released. Um, but seeing it now on the back of the Trump era and seeing pictures coming out of Greece from fairies where the world is on fire. Uh, It's unfortunately pretty relevant. Prescient, yeah. Still. Um, So I think, yeah, it it was a wild ride. And I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, there you go. We we got another one, Marcus. We got one more. <laughs> yeah, we we have another convert to the to the sci-fi tales. Love to hear it. Yeah, it's it, it it's something that like and yeah, I'm on a South End Tales podcast, and um, this is uh, we're, we're, me and Marcus are going through this now, chapter by chapter through the movie, and it's just you know from the beginning of this whole thing. That's was kind of my thought too. It's like, oh yes, it's prescient. It's it's all this, but even as I continue on, like me personally, as I continue on this journey through these weeks and months, I'm like, yeah, it even more so as like the news comes out, like you were saying, Brianna, like that footage, which is just insane to me, of those people escaping the 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 fires, and even that felt very. I hate to say this, like cinematic, like it made me think of like War of the Worlds, that footage. If nobody knows what we're talking about, you know, Google, you know, fairy escape from like uh, the fires. And, uh, what, what, what country was it? I, I totally missed that. Um, Greece. Greece, yeah. It's like it's like something on the War of the Worlds, uh, Spielberg's War of the Worlds. It's it's insane. We're here at this point. But South End tells, um, I think we mentioned this maybe on Harrison's episode, Marcus, but like it, uh, it, it's it back then when it was released it was just so over the top and like so like comically like uh, um cynical in its take on all this but now it's like oh this is just real life like this is no longer yeah satire it, i am yeah it seems like 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 yeah like it was billed as like a satire of or it, it seemed like it was a satire at the time but yeah it, i absolutely agree with both of you that like and that's the thing we've talked about many times is that like yeah it feels like like somebody that knew what was happening. Like it feels like somebody who's prescient who like knows what's going to come like it. And that adds to, I think the film's uh, legacy. It keeps making it more and more relevant as days goes on, as days go on. Um, and yeah, there, there, there's always something there's, there's always something in the news that makes me think of it. Like it is my favorite movie and I think of it often, but like there's always something that like a story comes out and you're like, like, uh, like, like we're living in Southland Tales. Like that, that's just a thing my brain kind of defaults to pretty often. Well, I think also with, you know, the absolute bombardment of the 24 hour news cycle and just the way that the movie is structured and having, you know, multiple split screen moments where 
everything is happening simultaneously and your senses are kind of reeling. It just yeah. feels very much like like the, Twitter as a visual. Oh yeah. Like the news, yeah. like something. the constant like, news imagery throughout the movie cutting to the cable news and like there's 10 different screens on the on the screen all showing different information and you're supposed to somehow process that all at the same time. And along with all of the advertisements and, you mm-hmm. know, the way things kind of have a video game appearance graphically, I thought was interesting. Oh, no. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Especially in this chapter we're talking about, there's like a lot of police presence and this um, mm-hmm. a, a government surveillance that just, again, rings terribly true now and uh yeah it's uh <laughs> this is your favorite movie of all time right marcus it just will make that clear yeah, again yeah <laughs> yeah what do you want me to say <laughs> no i'm just kidding around uh i want to ask brianna this um richard kelly i know he hasn't made a lot uh period um he's only made like two other films right yeah uh, dunny yeah, darko this is the second out of three films yeah dunny darko and the box have you seen either one of those brianna I rented Donnie Darko from my local video store when I was in high school, and I haven't seen it since, unfortunately. And I can't speak to the box because I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I think very few people have seen the box. I haven't seen the box even. I'm, I'm going to see that at the end of the show. Um, but yeah. Uh, what about uh, the one he wrote, uh, Domino, Tony Scott's Domino? Have you seen that? Yeah. No, I like to throw my kids under the bus here. Whenever people ask me if I've seen something, I'm just like, no, sorry, I have kids. I don't see anything. That's a good excuse, actually. Yeah, I, sh- I, I should have kids just for that excuse. Um, I, I, yeah, because like I'm interested because like now this this is like for sure your um, your 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 insight, your main point of reference for the mind of Richard Kelly which I kind of hate saying that phrase, like from the twisted mind of Richard Kelly. Like this is, you know, uh, your, your, your main entry point for that. But I think it's, I mean, honestly, I mean, uh, Marcus can agree. Like this is really all you need, right, for to understand Richard Kelly, I think at this point, unless he makes something. Yeah, I think so, yeah. As like outlandish as this, you know, sometime in the near future. But yeah, this is, uh, I mean... Um, w- w- how about this, Marcus? Would you recommend Brianna read the prequel graphic novel that Richard Kelly wrote? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I said on our episode covering that prequel graphic novel at the time, I said uh, that I don't really think it's worth reading. Uh, period. And uh, <laughs> as I was re-listening to that episode, I-, I felt like I was being a bit too harsh on it because in my mind, it has added cool things to the to the world so i guess i would say read it if if this is like a movie that you can't get out of your head or you really want to learn more about i guess i guess at that point yeah for sure read it but um (laughs) no in general i don't think i'm ever going to tell anybody uh you should go out of your way to buy this graphic novel that explains the movie a little more yeah, and I did say this on that episode, uh, on the episode where we talk about the, the prequel graphic novel. Uh, much love to artists everywhere, right? But I think the art in that book is not good, nah, <laughs> which which is no, a shame. Yeah. I, I I really think they, they. I mean, this movie is rich in 
like it's like production design and like uh, uh like yeah. character design and everything but the gra- that graphic novel a shame a shame that it's like not as like rich in its like artistry as it should be um so there you go we're we're going to point you away from that Brianna uh you know <laughs> Doing <laughs> In case you had that idea, it's like, oh, I want to, I want to check out more Southland Tales. Nah, maybe. If, maybe. if you want to learn more about Southland Tales, listen to our podcast. <laughs> Wait, I don't even want to do that, Marcus. It's, it's not. No. Get people. <laughs> no, no nobody should even do that. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, what about this? Um, the, uh, I'm assuming, for this, you watch the theatrical cuts, right? Have you seen the other cuts? I did. The cons cut? No. Yeah. Again, I'm going to throw my kids on the bus. <laughs> too long. Too long. <laughs> like, really had to carve out. I was like, I need to watch this movie. I need to do it now. Everyone needs to leave me alone. I had to, like, sequester <laughs> myself. Uh, which is fair. But but uh, um, uh, the, uh, I'm going to for sure say, if you do have time down the road, and if all, and if all the South End tells talk does like uh does pique your interest more in the movie then that cons cut is worth seeing i know it's super long it's it's like what three hours long marcus right yeah it's even slightly longer than this which is already 230 something yeah yeah no my my interest in it was actually piqued because I, i i did go back and read the essay that i illustrated and um the author brad nelson talked about how the reception was very poor um and he basically just went in and recut the entire movie uh, into what I actually watched. So I'm curious mm-hmm. to see it in a more meandering state because it does seem to be very stream of consciousness. So I mm-hmm. would actually, I think, like to subject myself to a three hour version. <laughs> that's a that's a great word for it. Subject yourself to it. Uh, yeah, um, but you know, I, I I don't think I've talked to Marcus about this. Like Marcus, I have I've yet to see the cons cut. Actually, I've only seen bits and parts of it. I mean, I, I know you have seen the whole thing, right, Marcus? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. Um, I, I speaking to what you said, I I actually it's interesting what they did with this theatrical cut because I think that the con cut kind of makes the movie more clear. It kind of presents things in a more linear, logical progression than I think this theatrical cut. Like, they cut it to be more mysterious, possibly maybe to... The only way I can think about it is maybe they they thought that if they cut it this way, it would maybe more attract the Donnie Darko audience and maybe it would make another sleeper hit like that. Because I, I do think that the con cut lays things out in a more generally easier to handle way. Like it, it, it's less confusing. It's less, I think the theatrical cut maybe flows a bit better, but, and is more interesting to me still, but the con cut is, it adds a lot to the movie. It, it, it can recontextualize things for you. Like there, there are scenes that happen five minutes in to the con cut that don't happen for more than two hours, uh, in the theatrical cut. Like it, it's, there's a lot of like really interesting things like that. Now, I actually spent a lot of time thinking about the way this movie was cut and and I couldn't tell if it was a happy accident or if it was an intentional commentary on our complete lack of attention span. Mm-hmm. The way that it 
jumps and slices and, you know, travels through time and it's really frenetically paced. And, you know, yeah, I, I, I found it really interesting to kind yeah, of, interesting. Yeah. you know, thinking if he kind of had that in the back of his mind, like, you know, everyone has the attention span of a goldfish. So <laughs> I'm going to have, you know, this, these myriad plot lines just, you know, bounce around this movie and see if, you know, people's attention will reconnect at the end or what they pick up or what they don't pick up if they do lose attention. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with that. I, I do think it was intentional because I think this is, this is what, 2007, Marcel, you keep having to remind me of the date. 2006, uh, the Kanska came 2006. out. 2007, the theatrical cut came out, yes. Like, this is kind of like the early rise of like reality TV and like cable news and things like that. And like, I could easily see like that being a big uh, thing that he wanted to focus on. And also uh, um, I lost my train of thought, but the, uh, what was I going to say? Marcel, what, what was I going to say? Marcel, do you remember? You're very much like Richard Kelly recutting uh, South end tales. Right. You're just kind of like, uh, you know, uh, cut and paste and everything. Um, I'm not sure what you were saying, Marcus, but I had to, I had a thought. Um, I, I, I do like the theatrical cut. Maybe it's because that's the only cut I've seen. Really, uh, uh, you know, because I again, I've seen only bits and parts of the cons cut. I know the cons cut um, adds like a lot of these moments that you'd expect to be in the movie that you're surprised that were cut out, like especially towards the end. I remember seeing parts where like, why is that not in the movie? Um, but even so, um, as much as I like the theatrical cut as it stands, um, and I've said this in other episodes, like I'm still very much confused about what's going on i i there are like plot points where I, even as we get through yeah. this chapter where i'm like why is this happening why is this happening but and, and now that's, that's what i was gonna say yeah oh there you go so there, i'm gonna toss it to marcus i helped marcus yes, get back on it, track bring it back to me this is how the show jog works. my memory all right marcus I, your turn. see what i was gonna say is i think that this chapter in particular kind of emphasized to me that perhaps this is meant to be not understood all at once. Like maybe like I think maybe some people's uh, misconceptions with the movie and why it was probably poorly critically received is that like, it is confusing and it is hard to follow, but I don't think that's, I think that's kind of by design actually. Like, like this chapter in particular had so many interesting details that, um, that on my like second and third and fourth watches of it, I was, I, I was pausing and like looking what's in the background and seeing it. And like, th- there is a like, ton to absorb just in, in set design, in, in the, in the costumery of the characters, in, in the, the graphics that are on the screen. Like th- there, there is a lot to absorb and like they had to know, like nobody's going to get this on their first watch of it. Like somebody has to like, to get the full experience, you have to like watch a graphic novel, watch the movie two or three times. And like one of those watches be pausing the film every 10 seconds to see what else is going on in the scene that you don't, you can't really pick up on. I, I, I do think the film is like purposefully going after those, those themes. And there, there's, there's just a lot there to, to find on later viewings. I think. I think it also might've been less successful maybe if it was, more traditional, more linear, 
Because there's something about having all of those things, an abstraction that make themes that could be kind of obvious and, you know, maybe a little ham-handed, um, feel maybe lighter is not the right word, but um, less so, I guess. It, you know, it, it helps everything kind of blend together in this kind of interesting amalgamation, and I... I think you get more of a sense of the way, you know, American machinery and sex and religion and all of these things are tied together. But I think if you tried to do it in a linear way, it would just be like, you know, someone hitting you in the face over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I know for me, it's like those points when I'm just frustrated by some plot points like that i i i mean it it, it crawls into my brain i tend to think about that more and kind of how that works within the movie and it makes me like it more i don't know like if if i'm struggling with something on this level then that must mean like i must be invested in it somehow which makes me like it even more i know that's kind of a weird thing for me to say even as i'm saying it but yeah that's uh, uh and like to to even marcus's point like and a, as we get into this chapter watching it Again, this chapter specifically, there are moments that I caught that I had not seen before that made me think, why is this there? Or why is that in the background? I have I, Again, I have questions. I don't understand what's going on, but it makes me like it even more. The, 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 the tapestry of confusion. Like, I enjoy that <laughs> in South End Tales. That, that's that's a good uh, that's a good log line for the movie in general. A, a tapestry of confusion. Speaking of that, so lo- you want to get into yeah, it? Yeah, let's let's jump into chapter four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's, let's start talking about it. So th- these are covering the minutes uh, thirty-five, forty-seven to forty-six, twenty-six. Fourth chapter. Uh, the way we arbitrarily decided how to do these episodes. Yeah, was and just using the. <laughs> I yeah. I want uh, to point out again that we were almost going to do a minute by minute podcast. And then we, we smartly decided not to do that. <laughs> and at, yeah. yeah, at, at the rate we're recording, I think this ended up being a great idea doing it chapter by chapter, according to the arrow Blu-ray release, by the way, I'm not sure if the standard Blu-ray release splits them up into this, into these chapters, but, uh, but yeah, uh, there you I go. should check that. Yeah, you should. Yeah. So, uh, this episode, it, uh, Starts off like leaving us off of the of the last episode, uh, or chapter. It's a uh, Kenny, uh, the last chapter, of course. Sorry, uh, uh, Kenny Chan, uh, played by Mike Nielsen. He's uh, kind of acting paranoid that the authorities are listening in on him, and of course, uh, he is being listening listened in on by the authorities uh, because uh, uh, what's her name, Starla? She uh, attached a. Uh, listening device to his caller before he left the office because he is like undercover working for us ident but secretly with uh the the neo-marxists and so yeah it starts with him in the in this area that like half of this episode is going to be set in this like uh it's in the back of a tattoo parlor i believe uh it's this kind of like warehouse kind of space in on the beach of uh, uh, Venice Beach, uh, Venice Beach. That's what I couldn't think of earlier, Marcel. Anyway, so yeah, we're we're, we're uh, Kenny. He's talking about uh, an anime frost and 
uh, we see these like uh, SWAT officers uh, slowly uh, working their way through the building, taking down members of the neo-Marxists or just people lying around, who knows, uh, as they're trying to find like this headquarters space. And uh, we see the SWAT officers kill uh, Eli Roth <laughs> and <laughs> uh, eventually move on to uh, the warehouse where uh, Kenny uh, Chan has woken up Roland and tells him to get out of there. Is, is there anything, uh, anything either of you want to say about this part of the film? I just, I just wanted to say real quick, not actually Eli, Eli Roth. I'm assuming it's a character Eli Roth plays in the movie. They're not actually killing Eli Roth. Sure, um, yeah, he doesn't. They, they don't kill Eli Roth. <laughs> they kill. Although I don't know, in this world, I mean, they Toilet don't. Man. They don't name the character, so it could have been Eli Roth in the world of Southland Tales. Um, sure. I, I was trying to do some research about like Eli Roth. Well, I know he's he's a creep in real life, but I just wanted to know how sure. he got um, how how he ended up with a cameo in this movie. I'm assuming. Uh, my, I mean, my guess is like he hung around with Richard Kelly after Donnie Darko, and they're yeah. both running in the same circles. So, I kind of like how I mean, yeah, there was this kind of like indie director, yeah, like the, about that time, like pack of guys, and maybe Richard Kelly was part of that for a few minutes. And then also get Kevin um, Smith. That's how he got wrangled in the movie too, because yeah, you know, so same circles. But yeah, that's my note. First off, and then also yeah, like I mentioned before, the police presence and the surveillance is. Um, yeah, unnerving. I think I think even more so now than I was first watched this. Uh, and um, leading up to Kenny's death, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Stark. Now seeing it again, sure, yeah. Yeah, and having the orders kind of coming from someone who's very not quietly gleeful, I guess, about yeah. telling mm. them to take people out. I guess she just didn't like being told to eat a dick. <laughs> yeah, uh, Miranda Richardson, her performance, uh, right? That's her, right? Uh, as a yeah, Nana May Frost. Nana May Frost, um, so good. Uh, yeah, like yeah, like like you were saying, like the almost gleefully evil in her commands to take uh, the uh, these neo Marxists out. Yeah, so this is kind of like one of the more action heavy uh, sections of the movie, actually. Like, even though it doesn't seem like that much is happening, like, it's just some guys bust in and shoot somebody, and that's kind of the end of the scene. But, uh, but, but it is shot in kind of like a, a frenetic way, like things, like it's faster cuts. It's, uh, but there is like a ton to see here. Like, we don't spend all that much time in this specific headquarters, but, um, as I was doing this, or as I was, uh, preparing for this episode, like this, uh, this space I found like really interesting to look at. Like there, there is just whoever designed this set was clearly having like the time of their life, just like going through weird rummage sales and stuff, like trying to find just whatever eclectic, uh, bullshit they could find to throw in here. And there's a lot of interesting stuff like, uh, the guitars, the giant toilet, like (laughs) masks from around the world, uh, mushroom with hearts on it it looks like um actually there's uh posters i never noticed this before uh there, there's posters of frank the bunny from uh donnie darko oh it's like the the logo for uh richard kelly's uh production studio i think uh 
They're in the hallway, right? Before they yeah, turn the corner. They're in and the hallway. Shoot the guy who's doing the mural. They're in the hallway. They're outside. They're in the actual space itself. They are all over this place. Interesting. Uh, I had literally never seen them. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it feels like kind of like a weird subliminal thing that they're trying to do there. Uh, just kind of mixed in with all the other plot plot progressing um, posters that are like the pictures of Karl Marx and the no on prop 69 and stuff like that. Like, I, I don't know what, what serve ser, what uh what they serve but the, the, they're there and they're interesting yeah it's, uh <laughs> this is a shopping cart with like old laundry in it it looks like uh, lots lots of interesting stuff i have a pause here yeah this, this is the first time i noticed um kenny dies on that giant toilet did not notice that toilet yeah. before um but I, I going i mean this is the neo-marxist headquarters right marcus yeah, it's at least like a big place for them. Like they had, uh, like a person who's like a key to their entire operation, uh, pinned down here. Like it, it's clearly a very important place. I guess we never really get that that much detail about how important it is. But yeah, it seems like kind of a headquarters space. Lots of like computers that Kenny's trying to shut down as uh, as the police are swarming the building. And, and and the first thing you want to get for your near Marxist headquarters is the giant toilet. So I the giant toilet. Yeah, yeah, I applaud that for them. <laughs> um, we're, we're not going to get into the near Marxists in this episode, but if you want to hear our past guest Harrison talk about it for about thirty minutes straight, then uh, tune into uh, episode uh, sorry chapter two of our podcast where we talk about that. Yeah. So what else can we say about this? I think I, th- I think I've said all I need to say. Right? Kenny dies unfortunately. Goodbye, Kenny. Sure, yeah. Uh, Roland uh, gets woken up, and he's still kind of uh, drugged out with the fluid karma injections, and you can see, like, the... the... uh, the space around him is, like, warping and doing weird things, affecting... uh, being affected uh, by his vision, and he, like, goes upstairs and flops off the... Flops off the. He like passes out and f- it looks like he's gonna jump. He sets himself up to jump and then he like passes out and ends up accidentally falling into a perfectly into a trash can that now, just nicely gently closes on him. Is it is it clear to to you guys why he passes out? Because I was confused. I'm assuming it's just like vertigo, right? He just has a thing about heights or something, or is it something that I missed? Is it something to have to do with fluid karma? I'm not sure. Yeah, I wasn't really clear on that either, but I thought it was kind of interesting when you, you know, kind of scoot forward in the movie after the uh, explosion at the end of the Zeppelin, blimp, Zeppelin, I forget what you call it. Um, He does the same kind of swan dive off of the ice cream truck. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. That's good. interesting. I've I've never so, made that connection. Yeah, it was it kind of, and again, this is in hindsight after I'd obviously gotten through the whole movie. It kind of seemed like a, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe a nod, like a, like, like a, and, but also maybe so there's it, a little connection. It was also the. I mean, it's kind of this like very almost Jesus reminiscent pose that yeah. they take, and then they fall and you know it's just kind of like letting fate take over 
Ah. It's just like, I, you know, I'm now in someone else's hands. That's that's, that's interesting. That's yeah, very interesting. I, I I love that take. Yeah, uh, fate or I guess hand of God, you know, coming in and oh, saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's 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 a good read. See, I, yeah. I, I just assume like Vertigo, but that is much better. <laughs> I think that makes a lot more sense <laughs> <Yeah>. actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's way better. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say about that that part of the movie when going back to what you said about it being the most action one of the most action heavy parts of the movie i found it um curious that he had so much opportunity to showcase like really extreme violence in the movie um but almost all of it is implied and even the deaths in this scene are very, I mean, yes, they were murdered, they were shot. It's not a great way to go. Mm -hmm. But they were almost (laughs) gentle, not gentle, maybe cartoony. Like there's not a lot of blood, nothing's very obvious. I just thought it was interesting that he chose to keep so much. Yeah, and so does Eli Roth. He shot on the toilet too. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So it's like this comic relief coming in and while these people are being murdered, which I thought was interesting that he just didn't, I mean, he could have just gone absolutely balls to the wall with the violence in this movie. Yeah. And And he didn't even, even like the, the deaths in the hallway before, uh, those deaths on the toilet. Um, there's that one, uh, man who's like on the phone talking about like cat throw up. Then he gets shot. Yeah. So yeah, even those deaths <laughs> yeah. are, or even that death is like undercut with like humor. It's like Star Wars. You know, it's like the stormtroopers coming in, you hear like pew pew, and then some people go down, but you know, they're like leaping off the screen. You never actually see anybody die. It's really, mm-hmm. that's kind of what it reminded me of. That's great. Yeah. I wonder what that is. I, if, uh, is that like a thing he was going for? Or is it like he's uncomfortable shooting with like being more serious? I don't know. That, that, that is, a thing I have not thought about either, but that's another thing that I will keep in mind for when we're doing the later episodes of this, like how he treats uh, death. I don't know how many more instances where that'll come up. Yeah, I think I think that's like a grander discussion of like Kelly and his work, and like how like he doesn't kind of push towards the the darkness as as much as like um, you uh, you think he would, especially in this movie about the apocalypse. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I guess he just doesn't. I know. I I talked a bit about this, but I just forget because it's been so many weeks since we last recorded, Marcus. But like that's kind of how I see Richard Kelly's like uh, him him undercutting himself. But I think that works for his films, especially this one. Like he he doesn't go hard on the violence or the drama, and he always wants to keep things on. Uh, keep that ladder touch on everything and i think it works yeah. for the most part it does i think yeah. he's more interested you know i obviously can't talk about his other movies because you know my kids but um <laughs> i think he, he seems to be much more interested in the psychic violence and you know kind of the ramifications of that instead of you know which is almost more horrifying because we're all at this point so desensitized to seeing violent imagery 
Yeah. That it's, I think it's almost more impactful that he made it almost amusing and comical. It's like, haha, well, this is the way we're watching the news at this point. It's just all entertainment. It doesn't matter that these are people that are being murdered. It's just, you know, what we're watching. That's great. Yeah, that's really great. and and, wow. and, yeah. and and to connect that with um, Donnie Darko, actually, like uh, Marcus, remind me, like didn't uh, Richard Kelly get the idea f- uh, of the engine going through the roof from like a news, like uh, uh, like a news headline or something? <sighs> or I'm or I'm making that up. But anyway, that death in Donnie Darko, not to spoil things, but yes, there's a death in Donnie Darko <laughs> where that uh, that engine falls through and kills Donnie Darko at the end. That's also very like. Uh, very much out there very like cosmic like uh again yeah uh, uh, uh you know a hand of god like an anvil thing. falling on wild yeah coyote. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that is just so out there and, and and that is like the most um dramatic the most like emotional moment of the film um that death and after that but still again there's that shade of like comedy towards it it's like yes he yeah, got it, smashed it by a giant goofy. <laughs> yeah like, yeah that giant engine uh, but yeah, um, I think we can move on, right? I think uh, we can. Continue. Sure. Yeah. So uh, the next scene is uh, Ronald and, or maybe it's Roland. I don't know. It's hard to keep them straight. Which one's Roland? <laughs> which one's Ronald at all times? But uh, as Ronald and Boxer, uh, they're eating out on the boardwalk. Um, they're at the same restaurant. I assume that uh, Cindy and uh, Vaughn eat at later in the film. Uh, where he, she like, tases his balls. Uh, Ronald is describing a recurring dream that he has of waking up in a maze-like dungeon that has walls of sand, and he makes his way through them, and eventually he finds Boxer and he wakes up. That, um, not until this most recent viewing, uh, after seeing the, or after reading the graphic novel, that is directly from the graphic novel, um that uh, uh, Roland has these dreams and Boxer also shares these same exact dreams. Um, and, and this is kind of uh, Boxer's moment of of uh, realizing that maybe there's more uh, going on here. Like maybe I am actually right about, or our prophecies are actually right. Um, his and Krista's. Um, and he has these interesting lines that he says to, Roland after hearing like he doesn't just say uh, oh yeah I have those same dreams too what what he says instead is he tries to be more uh, uh, what's the word like I don't know flowery about it like he says uh, do you ever feel like there's a thousand people locked inside of you but it's your memory that keeps them glued together keeps all those people from fighting one another maybe in the end that's all that's, that is all that we have the memory gospel and that's uh a reference to a a title of one of the chapters of this movie and also the which i think was named after a moby song that had already existed i'm pretty sure it was already out before this film came out and like maybe kelly just heard that song and liked it or thought that term sounded interesting and made up made it up to be a a concept of his movie um, yeah, I'm. I'm on the other thing about the. Yeah. I'm. I'm looking it up real quick. Yeah, it seems like uh, it was already a pre-existing track, a B-side uh, off of Moby's album. 
um, that one album play. Uh, play, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you have uh, Brianna? Do you have any uh, association with Moby? Do you have you heard <laughs> his music before? Do you like him at all? Uh, I listened to Play a lot when it mm-hmm. came out because I was a teenager in the '90s, and that's what you did. So sure, yeah, I was <laughs> oh, definitely yeah. there in that moment. <laughs> I, I went on a little rant about Moby because I was in the same place. I, I listened to play a lot in high school. Um, but uh, it's, I think the, the point I was making a few episodes ago about Moby was like, yes, he was of his time. I enjoyed his music you know, at the time. And I think uh, the music in here, when I catch it, I think it works very well. Um, but again, uh, another person where in real life he's a creep. But uh, we'll, 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 yeah. we'll, we'll move on from that. Uh, this scene is set to another like really uh, good portion of its soundtrack. The Oh My Angel by Bertha Tillman. It's like this really weird, weirdly slow song. It's like this kind of ethereal quality to it. This like real dreamy and weird um, song that's kind of creepy kind of pretty like it's a really interesting song and like i thought i always thought that like that was a uh an old song that they like slowed down for the movie but if you go and listen to the old song it's exactly like that and it's just kind of this weird find it feels like um music choices throughout the movie were really interesting to me yeah I think so too. Marcelo is weird about it. Well, uh, so. Wait, wait, wait. Re- re- remind me how I'm weird, Marcus, because you have a better memory than I do. <laughs> they, they, you say you don't ever notice it, and it's only when you notice it. Yeah, I just said it. I was like, yeah, when when I notice, yeah, yeah exactly. The music cues, I I like them, and but it's uh, sure. I I I, like, I think they're there more than you realize. No, this, and you're not giving it enough credit. This feels like a point where I'm constantly having to defend myself. Where. It's not to the yeah. it's not to the detriment of the film soundtrack. It's just that I think maybe it works, you know, for the film because sometimes you don't need to notice the music in the background. You know, it doesn't have to be playing heavy, you know, on the track. Uh, it can just be like right. background right. music. I don't know. Leave me alone, Marcus. My thing is, I think it is playing heavy. <laughs> like this show is just built for me to attack you. Mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go off on a little musical tangent because it's on the tip of my tongue. So, you know, I was talking about how he left out a lot of violence. I also thought it was a choice to, when they're at the big party, to have in the background, you hear an MC introduce Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, but there's no visual of the band. And Mm. it's very obviously... I love Black Rebel Motorcycle Club and Howl is a great album. And I've listened to that song a million times. Um, and to me, I'm, I could be completely wrong, but to my ear, it sounded just like the album cut. So it's not like they recorded a new live version or anything mm-hmm. for the movie. Um, and I, he just, he did so much on different, on so many different levels. And I, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about how he took away another aspect of humanity, which I think ties into a lot of the main themes of the movie. Like instead of seeing a, uh, like watching a band play is one of the most primal human experiences I think you can have and kind of taking that away and turning it into Muzak essentially. Wasn't, 
I think it tied really well into a lot of um, his other choices to kind of dehumanize almost everybody except for, you know, Boxer and Krista and Roland Ronald. I got to be taking notes because you keep saying things that I want to inspect later when I'm going back <laughs> through the film and when we get to those parts of the movie. In the background of the scene where they're at uh, the beach uh, having that lunch or whatever, having that salad. Oh, I should point out the rocks eating of the salad I liked <laughs> because he just took like one He's like pulling pieces yeah, off pieces like, off. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. Very much like a smart move for an actor to do like for a scene. <laughs> it's like rather than like have like a fork and like shove salad, you know, down his throat, he's like one piece at a time. It's very smart. Um, but when he gets called over um, uh, by uh, 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 what's her name, Marcus, I forget. I do a South Tales podcast, but I forget everybody's name. Uh, yeah, uh, by Ling, right? Serp, serpent, serpentine, serpentine. serpentine yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I caught like um, a Boxer Santeros poster, like on the wall, which I'm like, huh? Like wh- there was one. There was one in the uh, warehouse too. Yeah, it's like that's interesting. It's like, is that how? Uh, how would you describe that in world? Like, is that because I know he's like a famous actor? It's like, is that? Yeah, I was I was looking at the poster again because I have it on in the background as we talk, but it just seems like it's just his name, and that's it. I, w- I was expecting like a yeah. like a movie title like on it or something, but no, it's just like his face and his name, and that's it. It's 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 an odd, interesting like uh, it's kind of like this. It's, like, it's done like, like a Andre political poster. Portraits. Yeah, like yeah. a political poster. Yeah, yeah, the obey thing. Yeah. That, that that was an interesting uh, uh, piece of art in the background. Very much like, I uh, I don't think it was Banksy, but like a lot of this stuff in the background has like that Banksy vibe, um, like the and the posters too. You're saying that you think Banksy worked <laughs> on this film? No, <laughs> actually, we can discover Banksy by looking through the credits of Southland Tales. Listen, this this came okay. This came to mind because I read an article over the weekend uh, yesterday, actually. On Children of Men, um, and this is like a five-year-old article back when the tenth anniversary of it uh, happened. Children of Men, and I didn't know that Banksy worked on. No, he didn't work on Children of Men. They used some of his art in Children of Men, and mm. that okay. Watching this chapter today for this uh, podcast and reading that article talking about the making of that movie, something that came to mind uh, when they made Children of Men. The director and cinematographer said every frame of that movie has to have something in the background or something that signifies it's in that world, right? That it signifies like we're in this post-apocalyptic future. Every detail in the background has to express that. I get that sense here, too, watching Southland Tales. Like the, the posters, the production design, almost every single frame, especially in this chapter as we get into the bookstore too like there's just some there's stuff in the background that i catch them like yes like it's it's expertly put together where you're in this world and every sign you see every little piece of information you see in the background adds more to to to, to what we see to like to it, it it educates you on like the world we live in i also wonder if it's kind of serving as a visual tether so you know that you haven't also fallen through this rift. Like, it's just visual cues that hmm. you are in this particular space, sharing this particular space with this set of 
the characters that you're seeing. If that makes and, sense. And it's all and it's all kind of like overdone in a way that it feels pre-planned. It feels kind of it doesn't feel natural. It feels like somebody set these things here as part of their journey. Like it feels like you're it definitely feels like you're watching a movie. It's it like breadcrumbs. Like, yeah, can, yeah, you can absolutely. Find your way back to, you know, <laughs> your actual space time. Mm-hmm. Like these pictures of Karl Marx are like, you can probably find one every minute of this movie. Like keep going through, or the digits for democracy posters, or the advertisements like the Heinz ketchup bottle, which is like prominently in the background. Like there's always something there to remind you. Like yeah, this is a movie. This is a fake space, and like perhaps the world looks like that on purpose. Like, like we'll, we'll go into the bookstore now. Like the next scene yeah. is boxer going through a bookstore. Uh, he gets called in by serpentine. She leads him in and there's the kind of this, like a little smoky, a little, uh, a uh, little tiny, like bookstore. That's like, it, it, it feels like everything is set up for you to look at. Cause I, I was, I spent a long time going through here and trying to read as many of the book titles as I could to see if there's clues here or, and I don't think there are like clues or anything, but there are like, uh, everything is like contributing to the vibe of the movie of the oversaturation. There's so much going on. There's, there are weirdly placed books that feel like they are probably purposefully placed by the prop department. Like this isn't just a bookstore they went into and filmed in. Like they, they spent some time facing some specific books, like about the Iraq war, uh, pictures of George W. Bush, uh, uh, conspiracy books. There's like a, a rack of, uh, a rack of postcards that I, why would they be there? They're like pictures of soldiers from world war two. I presume, it is this weirdly placed stuff. And like this, this bookstore scene in particular is filled with that stuff. The first shot, I, I freeze framed it. Um, yeah. You said there's like, um, like some George Bush uh, iconography. I, I think on the counter, there are George Bush trading cards for sale. I think those are what they are. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah I love those little details. And, and yeah, we, we go through the, we go through the bookstore, uh, he eventually gets led to with all these ladies standing around too. Like, are they part of it? Are, are they just bystanders? Like you, you don't really know, but they, they seem mysterious. Um, One, uh, uh, the, the, the lady behind the counter has, uh, she's reading a book called evil women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The book of evil women. I wanted to look that up beforehand. I never did it. Um, Good job, <laughs> well, look, <laughs> we're, we're not here to like take a deep dive on this thing or anything. We're literally doing a deep dive. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there's books about DNA, books about schizophrenia, which is uh, definitely a part of Boxer's character. Like for sure, this stuff is set up. But there's these dates in the background that I wanted to figure out, like August six something. Anyway, but yeah, he he gets led to uh, uh, the Westphalens without Baron. Like it, it's serpentine. It's uh Dr. Katarina Kunzler and Inga von Westphalen. Uh, uh, they, they have a copy of The Power, uh, Krista and Boxer's screenplay, which supposedly foretells the end of the world. And uh, they tell him that that they think it, that they believe him, that this does foretell the end of the world and that they're fans of his work or whatever. And there's a very funny moment in here where Boxer's trying to wrestle away the 
screenplay from Zelda Rubenstein's hand, and she like slaps him and is trying to keep it away from she, him. And she, it's very funny. And she growls at him. <laughs> yes, yeah, very good, very funny. Um, and they they tell him that the future is just like you imagined. This is the way the world ends, not with a whimper, but with a bang. Uh, more of that misquoting of something that I don't remember. I didn't write in my notes, but yeah, I was, I was trying, yeah, I was trying to freeze frame on that picture. They're all standing in front of, yeah, that's Venice beach. Right. But like, I was like, what, what point in, in time is that? That's it, it, I, it's I black and I white wrote it down. It, it, it almost looks like a, <laughs> my, my wild guess before he said Venice beach, Marcus was like, is that a picture of like Tiananmen square? Is that what, what, I'm, what I'm looking at? But no, it's obviously <laughs> Venice beach. Um, there's some writing on it. Uh, Santa Monica, Santa Monica Bay is what it says. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So I guess, uh, wherever that is, I don't live in California. Marcella, you don't, you don't either. Brianna, no, you don't used either. to no, I don't. Santa Monica Bay. I don't recognize it, but there's tons of people there. Uh, it's a interesting photo to like, I, I don't know how much it, I don't know. What's to symbolize it? I guess it's clearly set up in a way to be there. Yeah. There's these like little trinkets in front of it, like a beach scene. Uh, uh, Beth Grant's character. Poster. I wonder if it's oh, like, go ahead. I, mean, the, I feel like the bookstore is kind of an implied neo-Marxist, not stronghold, but, you know, meeting place or sharing of ideas. You know, they have the giant dethroned God poster up in the wall oh, yeah. back. So I wonder if it's kind of a nod to like, here are all the neo-Marxists that came before you. Your neo Marxist great grandfathers <laughs> in the speech. In honor of our neo Marxist brethren. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to point out Beth Grant's character is holding a tarot card book. Um, again, very important mm. in, uh, in you know, their uh, forecasting what's, what's, what's going to happen later on. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's move on. We got the this is this is a big. We get the next uh, big title card of the film. We're moving into chapter five, because of course this film is like Star Wars is set up chapter four, <laughs> five, and six. And if you want chapters one through three, you have to oh wait twenty something years wait. for Kelly to put together the prequel movie. Let or me ask the comic book. Let me ask Brianna. Brianna, how confused were you when the movie started with like chapter four? <laughs> right, <laughs> I was like, what chapter? Because it kind of like starts off as a visual blitzkrieg, I honestly didn't even notice how the chapters were numbered. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's fair. Even even I going through this sometimes forget about the chapters and like when they pop up. And when uh, what was it? we're on chapter five, right in the film, uh, Marcus? Uh, yeah, yeah, me- this is chapter five. It's titled "Memory Gospel." Memory Gospel. I couldn't tell you what the other the chapters are called. <laughs> They're also named after songs. Uh, Wave oh, yeah. of Mutilation is one of them. Yeah, that's right. Wave uh, of Mutilation. Which is in the next episode. Um, I don't remember what the last one's called. <laughs> Even it's you. All, oh, yeah. The last one I could not figure out. I was going to say, Marcus. That's why I don't remember. Your favorite movie. It's it's titled after a song, but it's titled after a song. I think it's by the band Garbage that's it's not in this film. So I don't actually know if it's a reference to that song or, or what, but I, I can't remember the name of it. Excuse me, but <laughs> <laughs> please, please pardon me for not knowing everything. The, uh, so we're going to go into, uh, Starla. Um, she is back. She is 
doing her thing uh, at the USI Dent offices, eating off-brand Cheetos, uh, watching LAX toilet duty, uh, surveilling, yeah, surveil her like surveillance job as we're watching the LAX toilets in this very uh, perverse, uh, crass way. Um, I mean, which is uh, which is seemed, I guess, so outlandish in two thousand six, two thousand seven, but now, you know, it doesn't seem that outlandish. I I don't know what you're looking at, Marcelo, but the <laughs> <laughs> I think my my uh, only thing here to really get at is that. Uh, I was interested in uh, this actress. She oh, feels yes. like somebody who I've seen uh, many times before, like in a lot of movies. But I looked her up, and really, she's not in all that much outside of this film. This is like the biggest thing she'd ever been in. I th- she's in the box as well. Um, and that's about it, which there are a handful of people that, like, it's, they're just in Richard Kelly movies, and that's all they do. Um, but... When I was looking up Michelle Durrett is her name, I found out that I believe I tried getting Marcelo's confirmation on this by like looking at pictures. But so I sent both of you a link to her website, uh, Michelle-Durrett.com. And I believe that this is the same woman. She is an artist in uh, in the United Arab Emirates who is like a, a school teacher now. Uh, she's not an actress anymore. She looks like the exact same person to me. Perhaps I am being stupid with that. But anyway, yeah, she. this is like her, her artist portfolio website. She has uh, pretty pictures of uh, flowers that she's painted. They look kind of, uh, they're like bleeding and warped and gross. And she has like a jewelry section that she's made in her own jewelry. But I, I just wanted to... We have an artist on the show, an esteemed artist on the show today. <laughs> I just want to. I hope you're to, using that loosely. <laughs> to, to send that to you, Brianna, to see this. Uh, oh, it. Maybe it, you had any opinion about Michelle Durrett's art, or I have or it not. up right now. Actually, it actually looks like something that that character would yeah. have painted. I'm on. Uh-huh. I'm on it's her like Instagram kind of, right now. It, yeah, it's like kind of grotesquely romantic. Yeah, yeah. Like those, you know, the on her splash page, the she has this painting of roses that are very dark and viscous and blood colored, and there's a lot of they're dripping. Of they're like drip marks. into the background. Yeah, that's very interesting. Marcus, did you dive further into uh, Michelle Durrett's stuff? Because I'm on her Instagram. There's a link to her YouTube page, and she yeah. has yeah. If, if you've seen those videos, right? She yeah. I, I didn't watch too many of them because they are they are. She's a like it seems like an elementary or maybe middle school uh, art teacher, and she has this YouTube page that's uh, just. Uh, it seems like something she shows to her students to uh, prep them for the school year. It's like her going through her art supplies and stuff and showing paintings she's done. But yeah, I just thought that was interesting. That yeah, that that connection that we found there, and I, I think her art is good and it's it's cool. I, I, 
I also, uh-huh. I also, you know, when when you brought it up in the when you sent me that first message a few weeks ago, Marcus, I was like, I hope we're not blowing up her spot or anything. But no, I don't think so. I mean, she's sure, yeah. <laughs> and she has her own website under the same name. Like, yeah, anybody could look it up. Yeah. So you're gonna her Gmail is right there on the page. I'm gonna yeah. assume you're gonna send her an email, Marcus, and get her on the show, right? See if we can get her on the show. Whatever. Probably seventeen-hour time difference between here and the United Arab Emirates. See if we can, <laughs> we can do it. That we can do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was interesting. It's, uh, yeah. Finding that for this episode. Uh, it's um, it's. I, I will say it's. Um, I'm glad she has her own thing now. Like she has her own career, um, in in, in art and teaching. Uh, but I I mean yeah. I, I like her a lot in South Antos. I think her character here is. Uh, it's it's played so. What's the word? Like her shoving those Cheetos in her mouth, like uh, uh, just, just, just maniacally as, as she as she reads through that screenplay. It's like that's yeah. that that's good. She's v- extremely unhinged. Yes, yes. Like just yeah. she's a pa- that woman is a powder keg. Yeah, <laughs> she plays it so well. Yeah, and one of the most like memorable characters of the movie too, or like big flowery like bow on her head. It's it's great. Uh, I really love everything about Starla. It's a bizarre character. Um, She's the one kind of like bastion almost of traditional femininity in the way she's presented, the way she dresses her, you mm-hmm. know, shrine to boxer. She's like an overblown teenage girl. Yeah. And it's in uh, contrast to um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Kristen now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think she was great. So what? Yeah. So what's her uh, again? Remind me, Marcus. What's her? Uh, what's her motivation here? Like she reads the screenplay and she becomes she yeah she, she become a character in the screenplay. Yeah, in this last uh, in that last scene where like Boxer was confused as to how she how they had the copy of her screenplay, and then here we found out we find out immediately after that it's just freely available on Krista's website, and it's something that. Uh, Starla here is downloaded and she's uh, she's read through it. She's kind of become obsessed with uh, the power and uh, what that screenplay tells. Like she's she's fully in on the like this is prophetic. This is this is a very important work, and she kind of has this crush on uh, Boxer, but in kind of an insane way where she's got the shrine built to him and. Uh, she believes herself to be uh, man what is the character in the screenplay I can't actually remember the name but she believes herself to be a character that is in the screenplay um, uh, that kind of leads she's just another one of many linchpins in this story that continues to or that that guides uh, Boxer and uh, the baby and are rolling to where they need to be. Um, much like everything, she's just another moving part of, of the, of the overall plot. Another important part. Um, and if anybody wants to read portions of that screenplay, uh, the power, they can yeah. check out their prequel graphic novel that Richard Kelly wrote. Hey, check that out. <laughs> sure. Like, yeah. Remember that thing I said, nobody should read. Hey, check that out. <laughs> read it. Uh, <laughs> 
So uh, our, our next scene after that, uh, we go to Boxer and Ronald. They're in a car. They're in the squad car on the fake ride-along. Uh, and they immediately get called to uh, to a domestic disturbance uh, set up by uh, Zora, uh, Sherry O'Terry's character. Um. This is kind of uh, this is this is the ultimate plan. Boxers finally uh, getting taken to it, where they're going to stage a uh, racially motivated police killing that Boxer is going to capture on camera. Uh, this is the, the the scenes we have here: just the call, getting them there, and then the beginnings of the the fake argument between Dream and Dion. And that's the end of our episode here. Yeah. So uh, anything here to say? I think Wood Harris is. Wood Harris and Amy Poehler are very funny playing off each other in this scene in this like really dark and weird way like everything else in this movie. Um, yeah. That's about all I have to say about it. My my first question is, do you think that scene uh, with Amy Poehler and Wood Harris, do you think that was improvised? <laughs> Probably. I Probably. like that yeah. they just knew it had to be an argument. And they're <laughs> I love Wood Harris's little... Uh, like oh, like he just keeps going, reverting to that. Oh oh, he keeps saying that, and uh, and then they cut like to Zora and uh, Bing at the at whatever place they're at, which is also set up to look exactly like the the uh, warehouse. yeah the warehouse yeah, um, and uh, Bing says that they're so good at improv. And I think yeah. that's very funny. Like, <laughs> and they cut it back to him, like fake punching the air. <laughs> uh, yeah. very oh, funny it's pretty movie. brilliant casting to have very recognizable comedic actresses play these mm-hmm. like kind of deranged, murderous neo-Marxists. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, okay. Marcus remind me like, wasn't, wasn't Kelly's original screenplay around, like, centered around um, an improv troupe or something? Yeah, like, originally this movie was just supposed to be kind of a heist movie. It was, like, a a, uh, an improv troupe uh, kidnaps a famous actor and extorts him for a lot of money. And that that seems to be about, like, what it was. And, uh, And, yeah, so I think that's where the idea came from of getting, like, actual comedians and Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It seems like they kind of locked into getting the people they got. Yeah, in the essay that I reread, uh, he talks about how one of the scenes that was cut completely was uh, Jan Garofalo plays a cop on Venice Mm -hmm. Beach. So that kind of feeds into that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but but going to uh, Brianna's point, like I love these actresses in this movie, like Nora Dunn, Amy Poehler, Sherry O'Terry, um, and yeah, Janine Garofalo, who was cut. Um, uh, they're all they're, Michelle Durrett. Yep, yeah, Michelle Durrett. Uh, they're all so <laughs> fantastic in in their unique roles here. Yeah, I agree. I have nothing else to say. I think uh, for me that wraps up the episode. Unless you guys have any more uh, final thoughts about the parts we watched, I. Again, I'll just say something real quick, and I'll pass on everybody else. But I'll just say, going through this chapter by chapter, like we're doing it, Marcus. Like, like I said before, I'm catching things I don't think I would have caught, like on a regular viewing. The fact that we're going through this, like we are, 
makes me appreciate this movie even more. Those little details in the background, um, even like those posters and everything. Yeah, and and now having Brianna on here, you know, you know, giving more insight to things and giving more perspective on like what's going on. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I, the, it, 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 it's it a movie that keeps on giving. Exactly, it's a movie that keeps on giving. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah. I, I might say uh, at the end of all this, I might stand with Marcus and saying, you know what, this movie. Okay, I probably won't say it's my favorite movie of all time, but I'll say, you know what, <laughs> I would be surprised no. if you said that. But, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll need to do at least like fifty more episodes or something. But no, I'll just say yeah, it's 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 like getting getting better and better as we go through this. So yeah, I don't regret this at all. Is what I'm trying to say, Marcus. So uh, <laughs> that's good to have that reassurance. Every, every episode, we need that reassurance. <laughs> you don't regret doing this. That's great. Uh, Brianna, do you regret doing this? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I thought you guys were going to regret doing it with me, but no. hopefully. Uh, oh, absolutely not. Hopefully I've earned my keep here. This is- no, I, I, it was a great excuse to watch something that I n- never would have watched probably on my own because I have such a backlog of things to get to, but mm-hmm. it was really interesting. And, you know, I, I haven't stopped thinking about it since... I watched it, which is, you know, generally the mark of something good, or if not even good, just it's thought provoking. It's really interesting. And I, you know, he really teased out some like kind of pretty profound things throughout the course of the movie. And um, I kind of wish in certain ways that he'd been able to dive in a little more to things like some of the, it, cause it's like, like he hits you with like a really deep one liner and you're like, okay. And then it moves on to something else completely insane. Um, which worked for me, but you know, there was one, um, please feel free to cut any of my ranting. <laughs> but there was one, uh, at the end of that, the setup scene, um, when the cop says to Roland, he turn, you know, he says, you're not really here. Roland says, well, who am I? And he says, none of your business. Now get the fuck out of here. It's like, yeah. that struck me enough to write the entire thing down. I'm reading it from my little notebook here. So stuff like that. I just, yeah, I thought it was great. And thank you guys for asking me to do this. I you know yeah, I have I, like one more question before we let you go, and I promise this won't be painful. But <laughs> I, I I like to hear your your thoughts, your interpretation on like the, the the finale of this movie because I know it's something that kind of still rattles around in my head. But like, what did you make of like that ending? With um, I mean, there's so much happening. Like uh, the 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 two yeah yeah the two Sean William Scotts you know uh, coming together and like the rocks um, you know a bloody you know uh, back of, of Jesus and everything. But what did you make of yeah. the, the finale of the film? I'm, that's an interesting. I mean, I'm, that I don't think I've fully unpacked yet. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> um, but I really I feel like it ended on a hopeful note which is, you know, kind of what I said at the beginning. If, if I decided not to think about this movie very hard, I, it'd be like, oh, this is 
weird and cynical and I'm just going to kind of forget about it. But I, I think that underneath all of that stuff, there's a real current of hope and kind of compassion for the human condition. And I think that really comes through at the end. Oh, that's, yeah. that's beautifully put. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, Marcus, what about you? Do you have any, any last words before we go? Uh, no, I just wanted to th- thank you again, Brianna, for doing this. Uh, I think that you brought a lot of uh, interesting points to this that, like, yeah, it, it continues to be worthwhile to show this to new people. You and our last episode guest, uh, Harrison, you both had very interesting points that are going to make me think about this movie differently, the 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 violence, the how it's treated communically, and, and so on. And I... I I think it's, uh, I just want to thank you again for doing this and for clearly putting effort into helping us impa- you know, uh, unpack this movie even more. And, thank uh, you yeah. guys for having me on. I was honored. Was like, really? Me? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I don't screw up too badly. <laughs> no, it, it, it was great. Um, and before we end the show, why don't we do uh, plugs? Why don't we do that, Brianna? Uh, where can the people uh, listening uh, find you online? You can find me mostly on Twitter. Um, I actually have to look up my own Twitter handle because I <laughs> don't ever look at it. I think I'm just Brianna underscore Ashby. Uh, that's where you can find me on the internet. There you go. And that's uh, a very pretty art over there. Very cool stuff, always. It's amazing work, yeah. And if you haven't been convinced enough about how great Brianna is uh, as a person, uh, I don't know what to tell you, folks listening. Um, go, <laughs> go listen to another podcast or something. I, I don't know. Uh, can I can I come back next time for some more personal validation? Because it's working for me right now. That I should actually I should start a podcast where I just do nothing but heap praise on my guests. I, I should do that. <laughs> You want you want nothing but like a, a affirmation? Come on my podcast. Um, it's a side project, Marcus. You're invited. Um, oh, oh, hey, Marcus. Do you have do you have plugs? Do you have uh, where can people where can people find you? Of course, Marcelo. I refuse to plug anything, and that's my follow sense. Marcus at Gunkblader. G U N K B L A D E R. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I have no plugs. Talkfilmsociety.com, Patreon, patreon.com slash talkfilmsociety. Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. Uh, uh, oh, you know what? As of this recording, I don't know how this is happening, but I, I'm doing pretty well on TikTok. I don't know. Uh, all I'm doing is posting like. Calling up over there. Yeah, like I, I've done like five in the last week, and like out of those five, like four of those have gone like to ten thousand hits. So follow me on TikTok because apparently people like that. I just <laughs> I, I, I I post I post clips of commentary of uh, and that's yeah. it. And people love that shit on TikTok apparently. So um, follow me there. That's it. That's all I wanted. That's all I want to say. So. Again, thank you, Brianna. This was fun. Honestly, great time. Thank you. Uh, Marcus, it's okay, as usual, with you. It's fine. Sure. Um, and so, this is where Contentious we say... As always. <laughs> this is where we say to our listeners, hey, have yeah. a nice... Have a nice... A pod. A pod. Bye.